0: Welcome to the New Books
1: Network.
0: I'm Caleb Zachron, the assistant editor of the New Books Network, and you're listening to New Books in business management and marketing. Today, I'm speaking with Tripp Mickel about his new book, After Steve, How Apple Became a Trillion Dollar Company and Lost its Soul, from HarperCollins. Tripp is a technology and corporate reporter for The Wall Street Journal. After Steve examines the fate of the world's most influential company after the untimely death of Steve Jobs, Tripp examines Apple's shift from a company focused on innovation and design to a corporate juggernaut focused on mastering supply chains and tax codes. At the heart of this story are Jobs' two main disciples, Johnny Ive, the designer, and Tim Cook, the executive. Tripp, thank you for joining me today on the New Books Network.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Of course. You know that this is a, a fascinating topic uh i have been a a apple uh user basically my entire life as long as i can remember uh and you know i it, it's interesting to read a book about apple uh and you know just i i forget all the time that i'm using Apple products. so you know it, it's a, it's a, it's a great reminder um and this book is also you know a, a re- really fascinating dive into a topic i think Many people have read Walter Isaacson's book uh, about Steve Jobs, but many people forget to uh, sort of consider that Apple is more than just just Steve. Uh, so, before jumping into the book, Tripp, I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Uh, um I've been a reporter at the New York Times since April. Before that, I was at the Wall Street Journal and uh, really got my start as a sports writer and, uh, and And like to say that somehow I got lost on my way to the ballpark at some point and became a business reporter. Um, and I've been covering uh, everything from sports business and the Olympics to, uh, the corporate side of the alcohol and tobacco industry to eventually tech reporting, which is what I've done since, uh, since late 2016.
0: And, you know, for this book, uh, you know, why did you choose to write, write about this subject in particular? Uh, you know, how how did the, what was the Genesis, the origin story?
1: This was an outgrowth of, uh, of what I was assigned to do at the Wall Street Journal. I, I moved to San Francisco in late 2016 to cover Apple. And not long after arriving, um, I met with uh, with a, another author that you had on not too long ago, John Markoff, who sat down with me and uh, over a cup of coffee. And we were talking about what I could write about when it came to Apple and where things were. And he mentioned that, um, that Johnny Ive was not as engaged as, as uh, he once had been and suggested that I investigate that and look into it and that that might be a, a rich avenue to explore in my reporting. And, and sure enough, I, that, that was something I spent several years looking into. And in 2019, Johnny Ive stepped away from the company, which was uh, a, a surprise to many people Outside the walls of Apple, outside the the uh, the circle, if you will, and um, fortunately, by that point I'd gathered enough material to be able to tell the full story of how this central figure and this disciple of Jobs had become, I guess somewhat um, you know I guess he, he'd almost fallen out of love with the company that he'd helped create. Uh, which is which is a strange thing, and uh, it, it's it's a rich topic, and I, I felt like there was more to dig into there, which which is what
0: you know I did with this book. So you know, let's start with uh, w- with Steve Jobs' death. So, w- what was the reaction like to Steve Jobs' death inside Apple? Obviously, you know, in the world, this was uh, a you know, very significant moment. I think. You know, I, I even remember where I was when Steve Jobs died. My dad told me that Steve Jobs died, uh, and you know, I think uh, there, there are very few people where I can say that I have a clear memory of where I was and what I was doing when uh, when they died. So, you know, how did people react inside uh, inside Apple? How did Johnny Ive act? How did Tim Cook act? How did others respond? It was,
1: you know, it was it was a period of tremendous grief and mourning that would last for years and really shadow the company. Um, you know, jobs was Jobs was a reason that many people came to work, and to lose somebody like that um, who was a lot of a lot of the motivating factor for for Apple's reason of being um, was difficult for the company. It was one of the reasons that I, I felt like this was a topic worth exploring. I mean, we don't often see a founder die at a at a company, and and then see this period of grief and how people deal with it. And you really, you know, through my reporting and I tried to bring this to light and the book developed an appreciation for just how much it shook those people who were closest to jobs. I mean, in the case of Johnny Ive, um, the design studio and just, you know, Johnny is the chief design officer at Apple and the design studio where he worked became really morose, people said. I mean, Johnny would kind of like you know, slink in there, sit down at a table and spend most of his days talking to a colleague, and what onlookers said um was very much like day-long sessions and grief therapy. Um Tim Cook for his part is a little more reserved, but he closed and shuttered Steve Jobs' office just like it was the day the last day Jobs was there, paper strewn about everywhere, drawings of Jobs' daughter on the whiteboard still and and cook would quietly you know step into that room on occasion just to feel jobs presence i mean it was almost like like you know uh, going to visit your grandmother's gravesite or something like that i mean um except that it was just right down the hallway and it was an office uh, and and i think that really speaks to how figures who were close to jobs were were touched and affected by his death
0: you, you mentioned you know the the different reactions of ive and cook can you tell our listeners just a little bit about both of these figures you know what their what their roles were at apple uh prior to job's death uh you know where they are now Uh, you gave a little taste of what their character is like but but how do these two men differ
1: i mean they're they're perfect foils and also perfect manifestations of of Two different sides of Steve of uh, um, Steve Jobs' psyche. Uh, you know, if you think of Johnny Ive, uh, he's kind of the manifestation of of Jobs' creative energy and creative instincts. He was born in in Britain, outside of London. Uh, was really a a prodigy when it came to the world of industrial design because his father taught industrial design, and so from the youngest age, uh, and his his earliest memories are of watching. His father's students make a hovercraft. Um, he literally grew up learning to make things and went on to this tremendous career where he was the first uh, UK university student to win two award, two national awards, and then uh, got swept up into Apple pretty quickly and really took Apple in 1997 when when Jobs returned and was integral to the development of the iMac um, and the candy-colored computers that transformed Apple's, uh, I guess, financial standing so that it was able to survive after a period of near bankruptcy. Tim Cook, on the other hand, comes from a very different uh, you know, walk of life. He was born in, or he was raised in, uh, in Robertsdale, Alabama, which is, um, you know, near the Gulf of Mexico. His father was a, a, a shipyard worker and, in, and, in, uh, in nearby mobile and would drive like an hour every day to get there. And, and Tim grew up in, in a very working class family where he started working at the age of 10 it did show some of the some of the kind of natural instincts for business I and mean, people who worked with him at a, a local drugstore recall him reorganizing the cigarette shelves so that uh, so that the best selling and most expensive cigarettes were in the most prominent pr- position I mean I, I know we don't really think about cigarette sales now but those were a lot of the reasons that people would drift into a store like that and he uh, he became uh, and he studied industrial engineering which is a segment of engineering that is focused on the intersection of human uh of, of kind of people and math and so it's really about kind of making sure you're getting the most efficient production out of almost anything and this became his his kind of reason for being and and one of the things his great talents and he brought that to apple and helped right size their management of their supply chain in a way that became a real strength and bedrock of their business. Um and so these are the these are the kind of the left and the right arm of of Steve Jobs, if you will. I and mean, they're they're what turned Apple around.
0: What was the initial uh period like for of Tim Cook's tenure as CEO? Uh you know, what what was the re- the reception uh of the the workers of Apple, uh, you know, their, their faith in him, whether or not he would, he would be able to, to take on the role of Steve.
1: Internally, there was some unease, right? I mean, you have an unknown commodity who was kind of known, right? Um, he, he'd done some trial runs while Jobs had been, uh, dealing with illness over the years and, it was more a leap of faith for many people there than anything else i mean he didn't have the reputation that jobs had um or the you know the the skill that jobs had at kind of rallying uh everybody at apple and inspiring everybody at apple by um, by being able to see around corners. Uh, he hadn't established himself in a way that suggested he could do that. And so it was a real leap of faith and kind of a collective commitment to honor Steve Jobs' legacy and his choice of a CEO uh, that led people to get in line behind Tim and support him. I and mean, one of the last things Steve Jobs in the book goes into this, one of the last things Steve Jobs did uh, literally on his deathbed was call in the half dozen or so uh, closest advisors that he had, and asked them to uh, support Tim and in, in everything that he did, and and so that's more or less what kind of what kind of uh, cascaded through the company.
0: You know, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, about the title of the book because you you say uh, this very striking uh, term that you know this idea that, that Apple has lost its soul. Um, uh, you know I, that that seems to me to be very much about it, the, the 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 sort of the interplay between the different visions of of cook and and ive with maybe ive representing more so uh parts of the soul of apple um you know can, can you talk a little bit about this title why you chose to title it the, this and and what you meant by that
1: yeah i mean the subtitles you know it's double barreled right so <clears throat> it speaks to two aspects of the company um and the and really the two central characters Johnny Ive and, and Tim Cook i mean the the company's financial success is, is unparalleled um what Tim Cook has achieved in terms of turning it into the to not only the world's largest company but maintaining that position for over a decade is a uh, world's most valuable company but maintaining that position for over a decade is <clears throat> is really remarkable. Um, On the flip side of that, it's growth, both in terms of its financial firepower and also in terms of its just sheer size and the number of employees it has and the number of iPhones it ships is uh, tenfold what it had when when jobs died. I mean, it was shipping about 20 million iPhones at that point in time, and it ships about 200 million now. And a consequence of that um, has been that there are employees who find themselves in more meetings. There are, you know, there's more red tape, if you will, internally. um, And there's less kind of less of the nimble nature that, that, you know, distinguished the company during the jobs era. Uh, And that was something that began to wear on Johnny Ive and led this person who jobs called a creative soulmate to walk out the door. So literally Johnny Ive, was uh was representative of of the soul of apple um and metaphorically in many ways you know his departure and the reason for it um you know speaks to how this company changed from being a place where it was kind of nimble and able to react and respond to things quickly where where art often led to commerce to a place where commerce dictated art and it was you know uh, found itself Meeting the needs of Wall Street instead of instead of kind of driving the agenda itself.
0: Something that you describe in the book is Cook uh, Cook's sort of maybe predilection or or his skill at at being a, a, a diplomat, uh, his ability to go to places like China and and do business in Beijing. Uh, can you talk about Cook's role? I I don't know if this is your coinage, sort of describing him of, as Apple's. Chief diplomat, uh, but can you talk about Cook's role in China?
1: Right. I mean, and the book spends uh, some time talking about um, about how Tim Cook evolved and kind of grew into this uh, and into this role, and how it became a real core strength of his. Uh, one of the things that it speaks to on that front is. You know first of all building the business in China otherwise like he wouldn't have needed to navigate these these two spheres the u s and China uh, but he spent about six years negotiating a contract with a with a um, telecom company there called China mobile and China mobile has about 700 million subscribers and when that deal closed uh in you know circa 2014 it just transformed Apple's business. Over the next year, their their sales in China increased by eighty percent, which just speaks to how how significant that was and how important the Chinese market suddenly became to Apple. Uh, at the same time, you know, Tim Cook was dealing with scrutiny and questions in the U.S. around some of Apple's tax practices, and he was summoned to speak before the Senate um, Senate Subcommittee on Investigations about that. And for all intents and purposes, I mean say what you know you can you can take exception to how Apple handles its taxes, but when he set set before that committee he he passed with flying colors in terms of how he comported himself and how he conveyed what Apple's position on this issue was and from that point forward, he really stepped into a position where he became the the chief lobbyist for Apple uh, in D.C. I mean, he would take personal meetings with senators and Congress Congress uh, leaders. And also uh, when Trump arrives in the White House and he's dealing with this force of chaos in D.C. that's challenging China's uh, position and its growth economically, Tim was the one who was going to meet with Trump directly and trying to make sure that Apple's products stayed out of the crosshairs of, of various tariffs and levies that were being pursued by the Trump administration.
0: On the, uh, you know, sort of the, the point of, of Tim Cook, you know, something that you also talk about uh, in the book is, is when Tim Cook uh, came out and revealed his uh, sexuality to the world. Uh, and this was a really big moment because this is one of the, the most significant, uh, you know, coming out, uh, stories of a, of a chief executive. Uh, can you talk about, uh, what, what this was like for Tim, what this was like for Apple and just the, you know, the broader significance of, uh, of this moment?
1: Yeah. I mean, they, you know, a lot of people look, you know, it's probably easy to forget just how seminal this moment was, um, but at, at that point in time, there had not been a CEO from from, you know, Fortune 50 company, much less a Fortune you know, Fortune one company to come out and say, I'm gay. Uh, and one of the remarkable things that I think the book details uh, when it comes to this is just how much thought and and consideration Tim put into how he would do this. And and more than that, when he would do it, um, Tim Took some time to evaluate how others had had gone public, and spoke with Anderson Cooper about his effort or the way he had done it, which was more or less in a kind of a written format with uh, with Andrew Sullivan online, and and Tim sort of aped. That, that style and approached Business Week to see if he could publish an essay there very quietly. The timing of that approach was, was, was notable because in the early years after Jobs' death, there was a lot, of, a lot of speculation externally that Apple would falter without Steve Jobs at the helm and that essentially Tim Cook would be the CEO who who led Apple into kind of more dark days like it experienced in the in the 1990s. Um Tim waited about 3 years until Apple was in a position to release two products that would really transform its its fortunes. The f- the first uh, was the Apple Watch. I mean, and what the Apple Watch did was it restored confidence publicly that Apple could create new products and revolutionary devices again. Uh, the other product that was released around this time was the iPhone 6. And that product was the first to go with kind of a plus-size phone for Apple. And sales just took off immediately. Tim knew that sales were going to take off. And so... When it came time when when both these products had been announced, that's when he he went forward with his announcement and he he more or less told people who he was close with, like, it'd be one thing for me to fail as CEO of Apple after Steve Jobs. It would be another thing for me to fail as the first publicly gay CEO. Um You know, much less of Apple, but of any company, I mean, because that would be a setback for LGBTQ uh, executives everywhere. And so he was really cautious and thoughtful about when he timed this. And I think that's part of the reason that when we look back at it, we don't think of it as a big deal because it just seemed like an inevitable. Maybe in some ways, you know, I mean, there had been rumors in in the run up to that 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 Tim was gay. He just had not acknowledged it personally himself. But when he did acknowledge it, uh, the company was on such sound footing that people kind of shrugged and and moved on about their about their lives and and accepted it, which is you know not all that surprising given where you know gay rights were largely at that point in time. But it, it it's nonetheless noteworthy, I think, how thoughtful Tim was as he, as he went forward with this.
0: Yeah. To be, to be frank, like I I actually forgot that Tim came out, uh, until reading it. (laughs) I like, I, I, of course I remembered it, you know, how it was a significant moment. Uh, and I think also, you know, important just for like broader corporate culture and acceptance of, of LGBTQ rights. Uh, but it was something that I totally forgot about. And, you know, my, my question is, you know, in, in this sort of period, this, you know, three or four or five years after Tim became CEO uh, and, you know, he was turning Apple into just, you know, or, or continuing to grow Apple into this massive company, wh- what was Johnny Ives uh, sort of perception at this time? Obviously, you, you, de- you describe how he went through this process of mourning and grief, but sort of after that initial process, you know, what was Johnny's role at Apple, how was it transforming, and what was his perspective on what was going on with the company? The book
1: shows how Johnny snapped out of that that period of grief rather abruptly. I mean, he comes into the, he comes into the design studio one day, brings a a group of uh, designers into into a, a room with a whiteboard and writes the word smartwatch on the board, and. That sets off this investigation and pursuit of the development of what so many people now wear on their on their wrist, that the Apple Watch, Uh, and he just poured himself into that. I mean, he became he became so focused, singularly focused on his his work that it that it shook him out of his grief, Um, at least for the time being, right? I mean, that's not something that you're ever going to fully shake free of Um, the. The watch development process, though, brought with it its own pain um, because it was different uh, than the other product development processes that had preceded it. You know, one of the things that Johnny had to adjust to was the change in the way Apple functioned and operated in a post Steve Jobs era. I mean, when Steve was at the helm, it was anything he said was final and everybody kind of got in line behind it. And um, and some of his philosophies, you know, helped Johnny create a, an atmosphere in the design studio where there were various rules such as, you know, you, you don't talk about cost uh, and you don't question whether or not something can be done. You know, essentially, when designers say, let's jump this high, everybody's supposed to say, OK, Uh, let's do it. Um, And that began to change during the watch process. You began to have operations people in the studio who were, uh, there's a pointed scene in the book, who were essentially saying, well, why don't we make this this way? It'll save us some money. And uh, designers were having to remind these new operations people who were coming into the company that like that is not what we do that's not what we're about we're not about saving money we're about making a product as high a quality as possible um needless to say like all of these things pulled at johnny because he was having to to force himself past um these new these new barriers that were arising and they they drained him uh, he he became pretty pretty tired at the end of the watch process uh and approached him cook and and said that he wanted to Uh, potentially leave the company or at the very least take a step back from all the activity that he was, you know, he was committed to. Um, And Tim came up with a a structure that allowed Johnny to transition into a role as uh, the company's chief design officer and have two people assume more responsibility for the day to day management of, of of the studio and the design work that was
0: being done. Changing gears uh, just a little, uh, there's a, a section of the book where you talk about a moment that I think was was pretty consequential, just considering all of the chatter around big tech and privacy, uh, data privacy. Uh, and you talk about uh, after there was a, a, a mass shooting in San Bernardino, uh, there was uh, the, the FBI or, or the local police, I can't remember exactly, who was trying to gain access to the, uh, the shooter's cell phone. Uh, can you talk about what that moment was like for Apple and how what their sort of consideration was around privacy and their sort of pivot to trying to be this company where, you know, obviously Facebook or, or Meta or Google known to not care very much about people's privacy and Apple's attempt to differentiate themselves here. What was that moment like and what were those considerations?
1: Right. Yeah, There there's a whole chapter on the San Bernardino shooting and, and kind of an, a tremendous amount of inside the room detail about how that played out at Apple. Uh, you know, it was, it was, it was unexpected and abrupt. Um, the shooting happened and, uh, then it was, uh, it was days later that the company, uh, the company's general counsel got a phone call saying, Hey, there's an iPhone here and we, we want to get access to it. Um, and they made several attempts to gain access to the phone and were on the precipice of the phone locking automatically, which would make it impossible for them to, to gain access. And Apple did some things behind the scenes that they're typically accustomed to doing, which is trying to help uh, the government gain access to information that may have been on the phone uh, through an iCloud account. Um, but when they checked that, there wasn't it wasn't up to date they hadn't backed up there so it became this real point of tension between the government and apple over okay well like government still wants access what apple's willing to provide is not there you know what's what's gonna what's gonna happen um and the government demanded that that apple uh create a special uh, a special way to access the phone um what apple would call a backdoor and when they asked for this uh, by filing a lawsuit um apple was caught off guard they they didn't really fully anticipate that the government would do that and there was a marathon night at the company inside the executive uh wing of the company where tim cook and about a half dozen lieutenants are trying to figure out what they're going to do and tim cook's stance on that was pretty clear from the outset it was we're going to fight this um and for many people in the room i felt like i bet the company move i mean you're essentially going to go toe-to-toe with the us government and try to prevent them from gaining access to the iphone in part because Tim Cook felt strongly that if a, a backdoor was created for this one phone, it, you know, that backdoor could fall into the wrong hands and be used by a bad actor um, in a way that was dangerous for others. And so they, they, they went toe to toe. Eventually, as you may know, the, this gets resolved because there's a third party that is, manages to get access to to the phone, but it is instructive in terms of um, what it represented for Apple and and its kind of privacy positioning publicly um, because it was such a, a huge moment, just generating headline after headline for days on end.
0: And sticking with this theme of Apple's relationship with the government, you mentioned a little bit. Uh, you know, how Tim Cook uh, tried to position the company with Trump coming into office. But, you know, what, what was generally speaking Apple's uh, experience, you know, experience of Apple, experience of Tim Cook uh, during the Trump presidency?
1: The, the, the experience during the Trump presidency? Trying, you know, I think that's the yeah. best way to characterize it, right? Um, you know, as, as, uh, as I mentioned earlier in talking about Tim Cook and how Careful and thoughtful he was when he approached this coming out, you know that I think that's indicative of of the the type of person he is. Right? He's very cautious and um, and tactical. And Trump is Trump is the opposite of that, right? I mean he he courts chaos and and cultivates chaos almost anywhere he goes. And so what you had was this kind of. Uh, collision between these two very different figures who operate in very different ways, um, so what it took you know to get back to what we talked about earlier was just you know Tim flexing his his diplomatic skills in ways he 'd never been asked to do because he not only had to appease Trump but he also had on, had to stay on the right side of China, and he begins to kind of thread that needle by you know traveling between beijing and 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 washington to meet with officials in both places and reassure beijing that he is committed to the ideas of kind of uh like globalist ideas where you know minimal uh, economic uh, penalties for various countries and and obstacles such as tariffs and then you know persuade the Trump administration that pursuing those would be uh, problematic for for his business and and actually detrimental to the US economy uh, he's able to thread that needle fairly well in the sense that at the very least he keeps apple's products out of the crosshairs they don't they don't really get slapped with tariffs. The iPhone never gets punished in the same way many other high profile products did.
0: And, you know, lastly, I was wondering if you can bring listeners just a little up to speed about, you know, where, where Johnny Ive is now, what he's doing, uh, what, you know, what, what eventually ended up happening with, with him and Apple. uh, And also, you know, clearly Tim Cook is still CEO how entrenched his power is, you know what the what the future for him at Apple looks like.
1: I mean, Johnny Ive is he he, he left the company in 2019 and set up uh, an a- external consultancy uh, called Love from. Uh, it's a design firm that's working with companies such as uh, Ferrari. But he's also, you know, he was initially advising Apple. I mean, they were going to be his his anchor, his anchor client. Um, within the past few months. Uh, they decided not to renew their agreement so he's no longer a uh, paid consultant to apple he continues to have close relationships with the company or close close ties to the company and the company's still working on products that his fingerprints are on but he is not uh he's not involved um in, in any kind of official capacity tim cook on the other hand is is firmly entrenched as ceo i mean he's you know this company is very much been reshaped in his image. Um, One of the things that it's known for, uh, you know, from a business perspective now is, you know, it's strategic shift, uh, you know, circa 2017, where Tim Cook um, took its focus from, selling devices to selling software and services across those devices and uh you know the the biggest and most visible example of that is the creation of tv plus which won uh an oscar uh earlier this year it was the first streaming service to win best picture with coda um and and You know, uh, he is expected to be in that role through at least uh, 2025, if not beyond. I mean, he signed a recently signed a five year uh, what amounts to a five year extension with the company to remain a CEO.
0: And, you know, what is your uh, if if you could give our listeners just any final takeaways about your, your your personal perspective on on what Apple transformed itself into and what you think the future of the company is. I, we don't necessarily need to get too much into uh, current events, but obviously I, I've seen recently that Apple is is considering entering uh, in, in, into more advertising, uh, selling ad slots in the app store, uh, which is, you know, definitely uh, a major shift. Uh,
1: right. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the one of the things that that Tim Cook has engineered is he's found a way to take the iPhone that is so central and core to the company's business, it still represents half its sales and use it as a, as kind of a beachhead to expand into other industries. I mean, they've, they've done a tremendous job of that, of, of kind of remaining relevant in the music industry, of moving into banking by having their own credit card um, and, you know, buy now, pay later uh, systems and offerings. and. You know, they're going to move deeper into the car with more sophisticated car play that actually in the future will, you know, uh, provide everything from how fast you're going to, you know, it'll cover your entire dashboard Uh, will all be Apple. Um, And and then to your point, you know, move into the ad industry. So, you know, what it's doing is kind of. You know, taking this beachhead and then and then migrating into other industries, and that's what's kept the business, you know, vibrant and dynamic, and kept investors, you know, uh, kept investors like committed to to this company that's done such a tremendous job over the past decade.
0: In addition to your work covering Apple, uh, I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners, you know, maybe there's anything new that you're working on a new book or just a little bit about some of the reporting that you've been doing recently.
1: Um, you know, I'm back to, to covering Apple. And most recently I, last week I was, uh, I was at the code conference in Los Angeles, um, in, at, at the, at the Beverly Hills Hilton where, Tim Cook, Lorraine Powell, Jobs, and Johnny Ive all took the stage together to to talk about about Steve Jobs and his legacy. Um, so while this this story, I've, I, while I've told my version of this story, um, the story's still alive and well. And so I, I hope readers will pick up the book um, because I do think it's relevant uh, how a company evolves over time. And there's, there's, uh, there's something here for everybody, right? I mean, the, you know, we're talking about a left brain figure and a right brain figure. And I I've been really struck by how people who come from either of those walks, read the book and kind of find themselves drawn to either Tim Cook or Johnny Ive based on kind of their own personality and their own tendency.
0: Yeah. That's uh that, that's interesting. Um, Way to think about it is, you know which are which are you a, a johnny uh or a tim um, and you know that's definitely maybe that'll be the next uh, myers-briggs test that, that goes viral
1: <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe that maybe that is yeah the johnny tim test yeah yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> check a box
0: <laughs> uh, well trip thank you so much for being a guest of the new books network it was uh, great talking to you uh if uh, listeners uh, should should definitely go and buy the book uh, you can find a, a link in the in the show notes. So thank you so much.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me, Caleb.